0: When evening came, he said to his disciples, "Let us go over to the other side." Leaving the crowd behind, they took him along, just as he was, in the boat. There were also other boats with him. A furious squall came up, and the waves broke over the boat so that it was nearly swamped. Jesus was in the stern, sleeping on a cushion. The disciples woke him and said to him, "'Teacher, don't you care if we drown?' He got up, rebuked the wind, and said to the waves, "'Quiet, be still.' Then the wind died down, and it was completely calm. He said to his disciples, "'Why are you so afraid?' Do you still have no faith? They were terrified and asked each other, Who is this? Even the wind and waves obey him. And now in Philippians chapter 4, beginning at verse 4 Rejoice in the Lord always. This is the word of
1: the Lord. Just be still for a minute. Heavenly Father, this morning I want to thank you for your tenderness towards each one of us. Father, more than I know, more than any of us know, you know what we really need this morning. In your compassion, in your tenderness, would you bring your healing love to our lives afresh? would you renew our minds afresh? Would you fill our spirits afresh? In Jesus' name, amen. Well, um, this first bit of what I'm going to say may not make me that popular, uh, but I would just like to offer a proposition to you this morning. That actually we seem to be an incredibly angry generation. I don't think I've ever known a time when I encountered so much anger. Now when that's the case, you think, well, I'm the common denominator in everybody else's anger, so maybe I'm the problem. But I don't think it's quite as simple as that if I can take myself off the hook for a minute see, why do you think this morning are people so, so, so angry? A couple of weeks ago, I went to the sort of semi-unveiling of the pictures on Walcott Street that you'll find on Walcott Street down there. I got into a conversation with a couple who were linked with one of the local businesses, a young couple, one of whom was finishing their PhD, and I got into a conversation about life and, and they were doing a fascinating PhD in philosophy, and I got into this conversation about anger, about judgment, about blame, and in a moment I turned to the young chap who was less than 30, and I said to him, so why? Why are you so angry? Because he was very angry. And in a moment, off the top of his tongue came all the things that he was really, really angry about. Lots of things to do with other people and society and government. It's all mostly everybody else's fault. But his parents, all those other things. But it didn't take a second for it to be on the surface. Right there. I went away uh, a month or so ago on retreat, and in my quest to try and make a sense of why everybody seems so angry, I was looking for a bit of inspiration. And if you're of a sensitive nature, I don't suggest you read this book. Uh, but actually, I found a secular book um, written by A.A. A. Gill. Um, he's a satirist. He was a Sunday Times columnist. He died relatively recently. And he writes very uh, funnily, but also very pithily. So if you are easily offended, please don't read it. But the, the title of the book is this The Angry Island Hunting the English. Why are we so angry? And as he talks about queues, as he talks about monuments, as he talks about pets, as he talks about us inventing sports, as he talks about all the quirky things that it seems that at times the English seem to get very angry about. It can't help you but smile, but also make you feel quite sad. We are a people who seem to get very angry We struggle when other people don't meet our standards, when our expectations aren't met, when people fail us, when other people disappoint us. We can't but recognize as part of what it means to be human is that we are constantly falling short all the time. All the time. And forgiveness is hard. Peace can be very elusive. And of course, it's very easy to sort of think well, do you know what? That's society's problem, it's not our problem. In the church, it's somehow different. But obviously, the spirits of the age are just as present in many ways in in the church. And the question, in a sense, I want to put before you, and as we think about the fruit of Spirit, is what are your expectations? So much of life is about what your expectations are. Do you expect that actually constantly feeling angry and, and angry at other people and disappointed and frustrated is the way... Just life is. You know, why should we have a different expectation in the church from the rest of the world that actually it's okay to behave badly? Just the way I am. I'm just a product of my culture, my family. Just the way it goes. That's who I am. So we treat other people badly and peace becomes further and further away. Peace What peace? But Christian, um, if we read the Bible and take Scripture seriously, but we also look through some of our experiences in the Christian life, we'll know that there is a different story to constant war and battle. This is going back a few years, but when I was growing up, there was a book that was quite popular. This guy was part of the Full Gospel Businessmen's Fellowship. That's how old that book is, by the way, and that's how old I am. And I wouldn't use this title now, but he, he called his book The Happiest People on Earth. This is God's church. I wouldn't use the word happy. I'd like to use the word joy, but that's okay. But actually, that shaped me. God has done something so extraordinary in the person of Christ. There's something so amazing about being a Christian that it changes everything. Everything which is not to live in denial of the problems and the suffering and the difficulties of our world. But something has changed. Something is different. Something is not the way it was before Christ. One of the ways he put in, Nicholas spoke last week about joy, that sense of the buoyancy of God that enables us, yes, we get buffeted and we get thrashed about by some of the difficulties of the world, but there's something in Christ it gives us something that enables us to float rather than sink. But at the heart of this is a recognition and stating again, we live in a fallen world. Do we really understand that? It's good, it's beautiful, but it's fallen. We're surrounded by well-meaning but often fallen governments and systems. We grew up in an imperfect family with an imperfect community. There's greed and there's corruption all around us and it's full of imperfect people like me and dare I say, like you. The Bible talks that there are enemies in this life. Peace doesn't come in some kind of abstract way. But there are enemies in our Christian life. And when we talk about baptism, we talk about there's enemies of sin, the world, and the devil. And the world is fallen, that sin is real, it's ours, and that we have an adversary, the devil. And the not recognizing that we have enemies will mean that we constantly fall and stumble, sometimes, sometimes, hear me right, unnecessarily. Sin entangles and the devil loves to destroy the peace on earth that Jesus came to bring. Yet, God in Christ and the Spirit has done something so amazing that we don't need to resign ourselves to being powerless in this world, to constantly having to try, try, try really hard to be righteous. Enough, but the God through Christ and in the power of the Spirit changes our hearts and produces a fruit of love, of joy, of peace, of patience, of kindness, of goodness, of faithfulness, of gentleness, and of self-control. It's a fruit we know and we see in Galatians 5. On our hearts this morning, your heart this morning, longs for pure love. Your heart longs for joy, longs for peace. It's what God longs for, for us and for others. It's what God longs for his children. St. Swithin's, full of the Holy Spirit, full of love, joy and peace, that's what he longs for us. But this morning, do we really long for that? Do you recognize that? Do you long for that kind of life? Or actually, do we constantly transfer ourselves over to other things? Putting our hope in a new government, a new type of leadership, a new type of friendship, a new type of system that we think miraculously will bring all the fruit that God promises? Do we continue just to pour ourselves and just try harder and harder, thinking my gifts will overcome the world? Are we, as Sam Wells said on that uh, clip from Radio 4 I played, simply hoping to replace one fallen system with another? So what's our answer this morning? What has Jesus got to offer? Throughout the Bible we find, and we've alluded to it in the prayers and so much else, a God of peace. In the Jewish tradition of Shalom we see a picture of harmony, of flourishing, of thriving, of wholeness that God brings. A Christian understanding is that through the fall, humanity's relationships have been broken. In our natural state, we're not in harmony with the God. In our natural state, we're not in harmony with each other or with creation. Sin has broken that, and death has entered the world. And God in Jesus has come to bring healing and restoration through his kingdom. The Old Testament promises that God will act to bring peace. Jesus Christ is that peace. And the challenge for us is that we're called to carry on that work of peacemaking, of reconciliation. Blessed are the peacemakers. We have a future of peace awaiting us as Christians of perfect peace. No more fighting. No more tears. No more hatred. No more wars. A world in beautiful Harmony, where enemies are now our friends. Jesus, the Prince of Peace, ushers in, as someone describes it, a peaceable kingdom. The perfect king comes to earth. How? As you look at Jesus' life, you took a moment just to read through, I don't know, one of the gospel accounts, for example, and say, how has Jesus brought peace when we look at his life? Jesus heals those suffering from disease. Jesus forgives people their sins. He brought peace to a wedding in Cana on his first miracle. Jesus brought dignity and community to the excluded. Jesus sought the lost. Jesus delivered people afflicted by evil. Jesus taught to open up an understanding to people's minds to the wonder of his kingdom. And Jesus breathed peace over his troubled disciples. Jesus is our peace. Now, this passage that Rosemary led in Mark's Gospel is extraordinary. Jesus' power over nature, his godly authority over this storm will be well known to you, right in the heart of chaos. And I hope this morning, I hope one of my prayers this morning, as you think about this, is that whatever chaos is going on in your life this morning, that this little miracle of Jesus' will bring you some hope this morning too. The God we worship is able to re-establish peace in a real way. To rebuke the storm in Jesus' name. Be still. Be still. And miraculously, the calm returns. The winds and the waves obey Jesus. I mean, we are worshipping a God who is that big. That creation bows the knee to Jesus. While the disciples flap, Jesus sleeps. I said this week to the staff, I love this little image have jesus on a cushion the little marks recorded of this miracle jesus asleep on a cushion disciples flapping around storm that's very real jesus wakes up be still and the thing is this morning is this is that the reason i picked this passage is it's where else are you going to find a piece that big You know, we can do all sorts of nice things in our own selves. And our culture loves lots of the self-help world. But we need a peace way bigger than that. The world needs. Way bigger. And Jesus shows that through his life. But in Philippians 4, one of the great verses on peace, what we find is one of the opposites of peace is anxiety, fear, fear and debilitating worry our society is consumed with that and our current generation and Paul rather boldly writes in Philippians 4 do not be anxious about anything anybody not heard that verse anybody who lives that verse day by day all of us know it all of us So it's difficult, isn't it? So how do we find the day-by-day peace that Paul's talking about? Where anxiety doesn't define us, doesn't define our daily living, the peace of God. Where do we find that poise, that calm in the midst of storms and difficulty and struggle? As Ben said this morning, is that so often peace is seen as the absence of war. And so much of our lives we try and take all those things out of our lives that actually we think are warring with us. But peace is so much more than that. Peace in here in the Bible is the presence of God. It's not just the absence of getting rid of stuff, it's making God present in the midst of everything. The presence of God in the midst of the of the storm, and Paul writes that it's only through the cross of Jesus Christ that we can find true and lasting peace, that breaks the cycle of our enmity with God, our enmity with one another, and with creation. The cross is the place of great exchange to come. This morning, yes, in thankfulness, we sung and we worshipped, but also in brokenness, to bring our disorder, to bring our sin, to bring our worry, to bring our anxiety, and to leave it afresh at the foot of the cross. And to leave it there. To leave it there. For a peace that passes, Paul writes, all human understanding. This morning, through the gift of prayer, I really want to encourage you this morning. I really, really, really want to encourage you this morning. Take take hold in prayer of the gift of peace that God wants to bring to you in a real way this morning. To bring you to your mind and to your heart. In a sense, part of that may be first just you've got to lay down the things you're worrying about. The things you're at war about and just take them to the foot of the cross and say, Lord, I bring them to you. We all there's not probably not a person here this morning who doesn't long for peace. We all crave it in all sorts of different ways. We spend phenomenal amounts of money on looking for peace. We go on great holidays. We put time for our recreation, for our leisure, for our hobbies, for our friends. We try and medicate as much and get as much help as we can to find peace. Because the enemies of peace are real. The enemies of peace are real. They're not imaginary. As we sat here this morning, the people who will be struggling financially, people whose work situation is a nightmare, people who've got health issues that consume them day by day, with people whose families are kind of in meltdown and have relationships that are broken, and actually peace seems so far away. Remember here, Paul. Just to remind you, Paul is writing these words. In prison, facing torture and death. But if you go on, it says he learned peace. He learned peace. He learned peace in some of the most trying circumstances. Coming into the presence of God, exchanging sin, anxiety, disorder, taking it to the cross of Jesus Christ you and I really need God's peace. As a church, we need to be committed not just to receiving peace, but to giving it out and blessing others. That's why we did the peacemaking course a few years ago, and we've probably got some more work to do on that. One writer, putting it really bluntly, says this. He says, we have nothing to offer the world if we can't display God's peace. And of course, we do that in pointing people to Jesus, the Prince of Peace, but in allowing God to refine us and to renew us and to reshape us when actually the cares of this world, the difficulties of the world begin to rest on our shoulders. And we exchange peace for anxiety and worry and fear. And we start to look no different to the world. God longs for all wars to end, and one day they will, and it's why Jesus came. But I want to encourage you this morning to bring before God things in your life where you know actually things aren't where they need to be, that whether you're personally still dealing with your own sense of sin or unworthiness or sense of shame or guilt Or actually your circumstances are just chaotic and like Jesus in the storm, you just need Jesus to do a miracle almost because you can't do anything. Bring that to him today in prayer. Bring that. And as part of receiving what God has, we're then able to take that out into our community, into the city, praying for peace and prosperity for those we meet so my encouragement as well is that when you leave here pick up the phone to somebody who you've not speak with, speak, speak with, spoken with for a long time who you find difficult. Meet someone for coffee who you feel God's calling you to bless to encourage. See once we've received peace God longs for us to give it away. Because peace on earth comes through Jesus Christ who when we were enemies of God made us a friend of God brought us back to him and so our challenge this morning will we do the hard work of peace will we be his ambassadors and to carry on his ministry of reconciliation in the world will we be a people and a church of peace